Hi pals, my name's Soph and you're listening to This Composed Mess. I am so happy you're here. I am 23 years old, I am a non-binary queer lesbian, and this is my podcast. So just diving right in, right? Okay, first off, I kind of want to do a check-in for the week. I hope y'all are doing okay in the really, I guess, just strange world we're living in. Uh, transparently, I'm exhausted. I am burnt out. It has been one of those weeks. I'm working those 5 a.m. coffee barista <laughs> shifts, and um, it's been a lot with school. So I hope that we can take some time to just, you know, take a little bit to listen to this podcast, whether it's you cleaning your room, whether it's you driving into work or driving home from work, or just taking time to sit and listen. I mean, I know I might not have the most soothing voice, but sometimes it's nice to just basically have like a FaceTime call. Besides the fact you can't see me and I can't see you, but you get the point here. Um, so I mean, honestly, it's this composed mess. And a lot of the premise of what I'm going to be talking about this week is the fact that life is messy. And we do a really good job at showing people that we can be composed and put together but like plot twist that's that's not the world (laughs) like that's not realistic and that's just what society has implemented us to do but that's not realistic whatsoever life is messy and life is a journey so before I just want to preface that this is an episode where I'm going to be talking a lot about religion and religious deconstruction and I want to give kind of a trigger warning to people that by talking about this these topics that I am going to talk about sexual assault and I am going to talk about religion and um, pain and uh, suicide and mental health and there's a lot of trauma involved in this story and I think that it's something that I want to talk about because not enough people do but at the same time I want to give a trigger warning that if you um, maybe are at a point in life right now where you're you're really struggling with your identity or you're not in the safest environment when it comes to religion or you're you're experiencing a lot of pain this might not be the best episode for you and there are three other ones you can listen to and maybe if you come across this episode now there's more but I want to give that warning in respect to the fact that I this is a conversation that needs to be had and it's a conversation that none of people talk about but at the same time there needs to be sensitivity in the fact of giving y'all a warning and I mean, we're going to dive right in. I hope that y'all are doing well and ready. This is this is going to be a long one, but this is my story. And this is something that I've wanted to talk about for a long time. And I've shared bits and pieces on my TikTok and often get a lot of reactions. And I receive a lot of DMs about being a queer Christian and how I got to the point and the person that I am now. And um, we want to talk about the pain. We want to talk about the story in order to get to that point. And I got four pages of notes. Okay. I actually prepared for this episode. I like, I wrote it out on a word doc cause I didn't want to forget anything. So for that reason, um, if you're staying, buckle on up, grab something to drink, maybe some food and let's get started. So we're going to start like right off from the beginning, right? Okay, so I was baptized at a non-denominational church when I was born. I was probably about six months to a year old. I don't remember the exact age. And my parents kind of raised me as spiritual people. Like we grew up in a non-denominational church community. Around the age of three, I had moved to the town that I still live in now. And my parents were very open-minded to bringing us to church, but wanted an inclusive environment towards all different types of people that were coming from all different talk, like walks of life. And were very open into kind of letting me develop as my own person. Um, they were they gave me the name Sophia, which means wisdom. So they were very big on letting me develop into the person that I wanted to be, not the person that they decided I should be. And honestly, I grew up in my church and I I loved my church. I 
uh, was pretty involved. I was the preschool kid. I did um, pageantry, right? Like I did, I did the church school pageants, um, and I, I loved it. That like church was a big safety net for me. A lot of my friends came from church group, and around the age of twelve. My parents were very big on letting me and my brother decide if we wanted to continue going to church services. They're like, you guys are at an age where we're not going to wake you up for church if you don't want to go to church. But I think that, you know, church is a great environment and we'd love to have you come with us if you guys want to come. And I continued going, right? Like I was like, you know what? Church is so much fun. I love youth group. I love the friends that I see there. I also think like being in this environment, there's a lot of adults that are in the room, like including me in conversations about faith. And like, I know there's this, this big man in the sky and he's looking out for me. And I felt very safe there. And like, it was, it was a safety net. And right around my age of 13, I started kind of falling into depression. I wasn't specifically like a lonely kid. I had a, I have a great brother, but at the time I was living in, um, the, the, the middle school world where I was being incredibly bullied and I could never figure out why. And I consistently blamed it on myself. And it, it, you know, middle school was ruthless. Okay. Like I got locked into a locker in middle school from how bad I was bullied. I was really just trying to figure myself out. And my parents decided that they wanted to send me to a YMCA camp in Indiana as a brilliant idea to kind of maybe see if I could get out of my shell a little bit more. Also, just like they knew I liked faith and they thought that maybe it would be like a good environment for me to grow in. And honestly, like I was pretty excited to say the least at the time. Um, I had gone to like camp that was led by my church for a year, but our church just didn't have the funding continuously to go to camp. So my parents like, we need to find a camp for Soph to go to because Soph loved camp. So they sent me to this YMCA camp at the age of 13 in Indiana. And honestly, um, I hated it. Like they had signed me up to go to an equestrian camp. Like they had regular residential camp at this camp and they had equestrian camp. And my parents signed me up for equestrian camp because I was obsessed with horseback riding. I loved horses. That's all I wanted to do, right? Like I I wanted to be a horseback rider when I grew up. I, I, I didn't know it was called, you know, a competitive <laughs> equestrian or anything like that. I just wanted to be a horseback rider or a cowboy. So I went to camp that year and I hated it to the point that I actually wrote a letter to my parents and sent it on Tuesday. Of course, I didn't get in the mail till I think like Thursday or Friday morning. And my parents were like, should we go pick her up? But like they didn't come pick me up. Obviously, I was going to get picked up that Saturday and they were just going to see like, okay, maybe Soph hated it and we'll go from there. But um, I think a lot of the reasons I hated it was that number one, I was in a cabin with people that were around my age a little bit younger and I just like did not fit in um they were all like really clicky and from the same like high same junior high and I, I didn't know a lot of them and I just felt really outcast the whole time and I was also just like scared to try new things and being in an environment like that like I I was constantly being told to try new things and that was really scary and the camp counselors I had like we're very big on talking about God and Jesus and faith. And I just, I was really uncomfortable with like talking about my faith out loud because I had grown up in an environment where like I kind of got to develop my own faith. And so it was really scary to like talk about it out loud. And I didn't feel like I fit in. Like we were going to chapels every morning and doing devotionals at night and the camp counselors that were leading the devotionals in my cabinet. And I, I just didn't really get a, like, I didn't, I didn't feel safe with them. I don't know how to explain that. Like I don't know how to fully explain that, but I didn't really like the environment I was in. And I went home that summer telling my parents I hated camp and I was never going to go back. 
and I I didn't like it. Like I wasn't gonna go back. And alas, the the summer came after that, right? Like I think this is yep yeah, eighth grade summer going into the freshman year of high school. And my parents like, okay, let's try camp one more time and let's see and let's have you just be a resident camper and not an equestrian camper. Maybe that was the problem is that you were in equestrian camp and there weren't as many equestrian cabins of people for you to interact with versus resident camp like campers for you to interact with. So I attended resident camp at the same camp. And at this point, it is year two, and I fell in love with camp. Camp became my whole entire world. I had walked into this cabin with two beautiful, tall, blonde hair, long-haired, beautiful camp counselors that were so nice and cheery and peppy and inviting and, like, really attractive. And at the time, I didn't realize, like, so if you're gay, like, you have a crush on them. Um, But I, like, looked up to them so much. They were so kind to me. And when I was anxious, they would pull me to the side and talk to me. And were, you know, in these really cool sororities that they were telling me about and talking like about college and what they're studying and were super like friendly and they were friends with other camp counselors that I was admiring. And I was like, this is really cool. And the campers that I was with in my cabin were super nice. And although a lot of them had came from the same school they were still super inclusive towards me because that was kind of the environment that the camp counselors had cultivated in our cabin. Um, And I felt listened to and I was being shared the gospel by these two camp counselors that were beautiful and I just wanted to be them. So of course I was going to listen to anything they said and I was more open-minded towards chapel and then chapel in the morning we were listening to like praising Jesus in a way that although my church had done music um it wasn't like quote unquote the hip and trendy gospel like gospel music or the hip and trendy worship music that I had ever heard before like we all know oceans is a bop okay um and so I was in this environment where I was like oh my gosh worship music is so much fun and I was super involved in devotions at night and I was I was being shared God's love and I was like I want to be these camp counselors when I grow up like I want to be just like them And they were talking a lot about, like, purity culture and being bullied and um, their experience and how when they gave it up to God, like, life became so much brighter. And I I just wanted to be them. Like, I am this vulnerable teenager and I'm going to believe anything that they say. And that's not to make the camp counselors that were my camp counselors feel bad, but, like, that's the point in life that I was at. Like, I needed a role model and they were right there in front of me. And um, I left camp that summer with amazing friends that I had made and I felt so much more, like, bright and bushy-tailed for high school. And I was really excited about high school and this journey and came home and continued attending my church and kind of talking about camp with my friends there and like it became my world like camp became my world and so like now we're diving into my freshman year of high school and um I'm, I gave trigger warnings and we're, we're gonna dive into it and I want to make sure people are aware that like it, it gets it gets rough um bluntly um my freshman year I I didn't really like school <laughs> like I um went to a high school that had 3,000 students in it and my graduating class was 800 people so like I it was a lot of people and I was trying to find my niche and I started playing field hockey and I was making friends but like I didn't really feel like I fully fit in um but I had just gotten like my first serious boyfriend relationship right like we held hands in the hallway we had class together we ate lunch together like we we were gonna get married okay um, and it was October of my freshman year of high school. And I um, am on Facebook that night procrastinating, doing homework because Facebook was like the only social media I really had growing up. And I read a Facebook post that said, rest in peace, 
um, okay, I'm not, I'm not, not going to give full names here. Um, and I was like, excuse me, because Kay was a friend that I had made at camp and I reread it. And then I went to Google and typed in my friend Kay's name and read that my friend had been murdered. And, um, that was a lot. I remember feeling numb and walking downstairs to tell my parents and then like not knowing how to interact. And although my parents are like, great, they, they, I could tell that they didn't know what to say to me. So, um, big hugs. And I, I went back upstairs and, um, God bless my mother that day, like that night she emailed all of my teachers to tell them what was going on and offered me like, I didn't have to go to school if I didn't want to, but I wanted to go to school. And, um, I was the only person in my high school that had attended this camp. And so I, I was kind of really isolated in the fact that like no one else knew my friend that had just been murdered. And I was watching a lot of my camp friends all go to the same high school with this person that had passed away and they were all grieving together. And I was 40 minutes away, but not close enough to grieve with them. Um, and it, it, it became like labeled as like, oh, so the person that had a friend like murder, like it, it was bad. Um, and a lot of my friends, like, didn't know how to interact with me as, like, I mean, we're freshmen in high school. Like, it's, it's, it's a really difficult situation. Um, and I watched the towns grieve together and it was all about thoughts and prayers because that was Kay's kind of parents concept too. Um, and I pushed a lot towards my religion. Like all of my coping went into praying and God and knowing that Kay was an angel and it, it was going to be okay. Um, and as I was grieving through that, a week later, my grandfather passed away. And so I'm living this like white, privileged, middle-class suburban lifestyle where nothing bad has happened to me. And faith is like an important part of my life to all of these tragic things happening and being like, God, why, why are you doing this? Um, I took all my aggression and anger and stress out on God. And I mean, transparently my faith grew more than like a lot. I'm not going to say more than ever because we'll talk about that later, but my faith grew a ton because the people that were reaching out for me and the people that were taking care of me and checking in on me and even the teachers that were caring about me the most and my therapists um, were all of faith and all telling me that they were praying for me and here for me. And I fell, I fell into a lot of depression, but camp and the people of camp became my safe haven of my life and how I coped. And so that summer, my parents sent me back to camp and all of the camp staff had known what had happened because transparently the camp that I went to like had weeks of like, oh, this is the time that all these type, this town of kids are going to come and this is the week that all these camp kids are going to come and this is the week that, so like they knew like this is the week that all of Kay's friends are coming to camp and how can we have intimate and vulnerable conversations with these teens that are grieving over this person that has passed away in a really tragic way. Um, and I became so close to the people that were in my cabin that like weak because we were all grieving together. Um, and when you grieve with other people, you get very close to them. And then when you bring religion involved and you're praying together and sharing faith together, faith is like a very already intimate thing. And then you're just, you're adding to it by grieving together. And, um, camp just became another part of me and my religion really was like my coping skill. Um, and then we dive into sophomore year of high school, right? So I had had a boyfriend, a uh, plot twist, we broke up. And so I started the longest relationship I've ever had um, with my new boyfriend at the time. And we decided that we were going to live 
quote unquote, as perfect Christians. Um, we had conversations about waiting till marriage as our other friends, like we're starting like sophomore year of high school is a really weird age. And some of our friends were already doing things and we, we weren't ready for that. And we, um, both attended youth group together and then we both became youth group leaders together. Um, and in this time of like wanting to be a perfect Christian and like having this conversation with this teenage boy that I was dating, um, I also was severely depressed and like in grief group and uh, grief group in high school is just like a concept, okay? Like this is this is seven teenagers that get together two times a week, skip class to sit in a grief group and just like bitch about their problems, which is number one, the best thing ever. Number two, like your teenagers coping with trauma together. So you become intimately close. And so I'm friends with my friends from grief, grief group and I'm just, I'm trying to hold it together. Like at this point, my sophomore year of high school, I am the girl that cries a lot. Obviously, I'm not a girl now, but besides the point. Um, and so I was hospitalized for a suicide attempt my sophomore year of high school because I, I wanted God to solve all my problems. And there was one night that I just, God was not, not there. God wasn't there. God hated me. God took all of this pain um, and put it on me. And how dare God do this to me? Like, my life's been perfect and now you're just going to mess it up. Like, I was angry. Um, and obviously like I made it through and I attended that hospitalization and not too much changed. I mean, welcome to America mental health wards and I, I'll dive into that another episode pals. But, um, that was a point where I got really mad at God and all I was hearing from people when I got out was I was praying for you. I'm here for you. Like you were in our prayers, like God's with you through all this. It's going to be okay. So junior year of high school, my boyfriend and I continued dating for that year, but it it wasn't a healthy relationship. I pushed him away. And honestly, like I was battling my own self-worth and trying to figure it out in my own demons of this grief. And I was putting my grief on this person. And although I had a boyfriend, um, my junior year is I look back now going, so few were literally in a queer relationship. So although I had a boyfriend, I was playing field hockey Um, and I had grown really close to this freshman, um, as a junior and we were on the same field hockey team and we got so close that, um, we're going to name this person Jay, (laughs) um, that Jay and I got so close. We were sending notes to each other. Like we were passing notes, um, on the field hockey bus. We were sitting next to each other. We were cuddling, we were holding hands and like, Jay was like, you are truly like my soulmate. Like we're best friends for life. Like it's going to be great. Um, like Jay and I would kiss each other, not thinking twice about it, like on the cheek, like, oh babe, like you're doing great. Have a good day. Um, and I look back now, like, so like, what the heck? Um, and I'll be honest, uh, Jay was my best friend at the time's little sister. So my best friend, um, um, uh, was a senior. I was a junior and then their sister was a freshman. So, um, the dynamic was hard because I was hanging out with my best friend, but also like really close with my best friend's little sister and like had a platonic queer relationship with my best friend's little sister. But like, I feel so bad that I was so oblivious. And I remember like Jay giving me this necklace telling me like I got your back like we're best friends we're in it through it all and kissing me and me being like oh yeah of course like we're best friends nothing and I just my heart breaks now because now we're two openly queer people but Jay came out a lot sooner than I did and I 
was the person that led someone on without even knowing it. And I look back like, oh my gosh, this is a moment of like, I was so deep into my Christianity that I was just being told like, nope, we're just friends. We're just friends. Girls don't like each other. Like, that's not okay. That's absolutely not acceptable. Like, I still have a boyfriend. I'm straight. I'm straight. I'm straight. I'm straight. Um, And religion just became the pivotal, like, my world, right? Well, um, a couple months later, me and my boyfriend of two years had broken up. Uh, right before the summer because he had came out to me as gay and was seeing a boy and that destroyed me, right? Like I wasn't homophobic, but I also was someone that was like, well, good for them. They can do whatever they want, but like, I'm never going to live that lifestyle. And that is homophobic. Um, but that's, that's where I was. And so I went back to camp that year, right before senior year of high school. And that summer I was a camper in leadership training, which basically means you pay to be um, a glorified fake counselor at the camp I was at. And that was kind of the year where I started to like open my eyes to the fact that, um, religion was kind of clicky. Like my camp was really clicky. Um, these silt counselors, camper and leadership training counselors, uh, were, they had their favorites, right? Like as a camper and leadership training, like as a silt, um, you have these counselors that are like watching over you and making sure that like you are being good to these campers, but you're not actually their counselor. And um, the silt counselors had favorites and I wasn't one of them. And I felt extremely isolated and not included and awkward. And um, I was I was really battling the fact that like I wanted to be these counselors. So why weren't they liking me? Like I was so confused and all I wanted was for people to be like, you're a great Christian. And like, I, I never got that when I was at camp, even though I had idolized camp so badly. And so there's a lot of pain involved. And I finished that summer and I came back and I realized that's my last year at camp. So I better be a camp counselor next year, um, which you can be a day camp counselor, yada, 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 after your junior year in high school. And I had a, whatever. So I was like, after my senior year of high school, I'm going to be a day camp counselor and come back to camp and be a better counselor than the counselors have been to me. And so senior year, I quote unquote fell off the deep end. Um, I was battling a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety. And I was trying so hard to be the perfect Christian. Besides fact, guys, there isn't a perfect Christian. But I was trying so hard to maintain purity culture and um, pray for people and not judge and be open-hearted and attend youth group and lead youth groups. And I was trying so hard to be, quote-unquote, what I thought was perfect because that was just, like, what I was told. And I wasn't, okay? And that's okay. My senior year of high school, I had about seven boyfriends, okay? Like, I, I wanted <laughs> I dated a lot of people. And the reason is I just, I couldn't be by myself. Um, I, I was really struggling and I had this fear if I was alone that I was going to have to focus on my mental health in ways that I wasn't ready to. And so I struggled in the fact that I was rejected to work at that day camp, at camp that I had idolized and wanted to be a part of so badly that I just worked as a lifeguard and I dated quite a lot of men and bluntly I wasn't obeying purity culture but staying that I was and I felt this incredible guilt of being a hypocrite of being in this Christian faith and living in so much sin but acting like I wasn't and I was I was just battling so much pain that I wasn't recognizing the church was putting on me but I I was battling a lot of pain and so when I went to my freshman year of college I decided that in order to regain, you know, my pure standing, 
I was going to be a resident camp counselor. I was not going to be a day camp counselor reject. I was going to go back to that camp and be a resident counselor. And in order to do that, I needed to be perfect in order to apply to work at camp. So I joined a sorority because that is what the camp counselors that I idolized had done. I was in Christian groups on college campus because that is what my favorite counselors had done. And I worked my butt off and tried to maintain this perfect, you know, straight hair, straight girl lifestyle. Um, and I, I wanted to be a perfect person. <laughs> There's no such thing. So I joined the sorority and I was with a Christian roommate and my roommate and I had gone to church together and the church that we had gone to was my roommate's church, right? Like my roommate was living in Wisconsin, decided to go to school 30 minutes away. And so we went to my roommate's church and the church that we had went to, um, the whole entire service was about homosexuality as a son. And I sat there like, um, something's not right here. And I think that was a moment of clicking in me of like, wait, but women are beautiful. Like, why would this be a problem if I was this? Um, and the like the, the sorority sisters, I had a couple of them were identifying as bisexual. And so I was becoming a more advocate to the LGBTQA plus community. And I was like, this isn't right. Like something's not adding up here. And I don't know why we're saying that this isn't okay. And so we came back from that church service and my roommate asked like, so what did you think? And I bluntly remember telling her, like, um, I don't, I don't, I don't think that this, what you're saying is okay. And she looked at me and said, well, your gay uncles are burning in hell, so you think that's okay? And I was like, whoa, 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 here, homie. Um, and that was kind of a moment of like, oh, other people can identify as Christian and they're not as open-minded as the Christianity that I've been exposed to. And so... I was living this life of like saying I was Christian and I didn't even know like what Christianity was. And I was conditioned to kind of believe that I was doing something wrong by not obeying purity culture, by being in a sorority, by doing all these things. But I was, I was just so confused because my faith wasn't my own. Like I was trying to obey what other people were telling me. And this is at a time where like Christian Johns and Haley Pham are like being outspoken YouTubers about their faith and religion and like glamorizing, like going to church and, you know, getting Starbucks coffee beforehand and then highlighting our Bibles. And like, we're all really close and oh my God, you know, sisters in Christ. And like, I, I, I wanted to be that so badly. Um, and like, I thought college was going to be this opportunity to do that. And I just, I was so conflicted. What I realized now is that everything I was doing was very gay. Okay. Like I look back now, like so like, Oh, oh my gosh. And although I had like slowly started coming out to my sorority sisters as bisexual, um, I should have just known. I continued perceiving men and like dating men and wanting to be with men, but like I didn't actually enjoy anything that I was doing with men. Like I was miserable. I was either just associating. I was just, I was throwing up after like doing that. It was bad. Okay. And yet I was having this really, really intimate relationship with one of my friends, like hold hands, you know, cuddle, like we're really close, like literally a separable bond. And like, I didn't want to identify that as a queer relationship because like we weren't doing it or making out. And like, I just, I shake myself. Right. But I was being told by this media that I was watching and these girls that I was looking at that, like, I wasn't Christian enough and I had to be more Christian in order to like be a Christian follower of God. And I, I was struggling and to make it even worse, I was then assaulted my freshman year on campus by a man in a fraternity 
and I decided that I had to, I had to take a step back and go to a different college because of the environment that I was in and I didn't feel safe. So that year, right before um, my sophomore year of college, I got that job at camp. And so I walked into that camp pumped. I got the job. I was living this picture perfect lifestyle and I decided that I was going to be the perfect counselor. And the first week of staff training at that camp, um, camp kind of changed for me. I was surrounded by all these counselors that became very clicky and um, were very strict on like their mindsets and weren't very open-minded. And I found it really hard to fit in. And honestly, like I would tell people I was bisexual, but like, honestly, some people just like brushed it off. Like, well, you're in a relationship with a guy, so you're not. Um, and that's a problem within itself. But I just found, I found, felt like there was a sense of entitlement by a lot of the counselors because like they were second year counselors or third year counselors. And I just, I didn't fit in. And I was so frustrated because I had tried so hard to like fit into the perfect camp counselor mindset and then be this perfect person for them. And no one was recognizing that. And honestly, like, although I was a great camp counselor that year, I was so focused on myself. Camp culture was really big on sharing, like, all the people in leadership at my camp had met their partners and their spouses, aka their husband and wives, um, because trust me, there was no non-cisgender straight relationship there. Um, But they were so open to talking about how they met their future partners and people through camp and being camp counselors together. And so I was like, perfect. I'm living this perfect Christian narrative. I'm waiting till marriage, even though like plot twist, I wasn't doing that. Um, and I'm going to be the perfect Christian and I'm going to meet my husband at this camp. So that's how life's going to be. And so I pursued a guy when I was dating, like I dated him the whole entire summer at camp. And I was just like, I'm the perfect Christian. And this is it. Like I I've peaked and, um, I, I wasn't <laughs> like, but I was just being fed and spoon fed that like, if you do this, this, and this, you're a perfect Christian. And so I was like, I'm doing great. Um, and so I went to my second college, my sophomore year of college, and I had left camp that year and me and the person that I was dating broke up and, um, I fell into being this huge sorority with all these girls and drinking and partying to fit in, but never feeling comfortable. And a big part of it looking back now is um, two things happened my sophomore year of college. I, number one, joined the sorority that was very big on like fraternity sorority events and I could never get a fraternity date. And the truth of the matter is I didn't want a fraternity date. I wanted to take one of my sorority sisters as a date. Um, and so I just like played it off. I was like, oh, I don't have a date. Like it's fine. And every single freaking event, one of my sorority sisters would like pick a random frat guy that I would be taking and it would be incredibly uncomfortable. And I have really bad photos of like me being incredibly uncomfortable <laughs> at these return, like these fraternity and sorority events, because like I was forced to be straight because there was no other option. Um, and that was something that I think about on top of the fact that um, a lot of the camp counselors that I was working with were young life leaders and like, so if you should think about young life, like be a young life leader. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. So, um, I remember going on like my sophomore year, like the second or third week of school, like they have like a fair of all the clubs and activities you can join. And I saw a young life was one of them. And I like asked if I could be a young life leader. And so I, um, was pursued by this young life staff organizer, um, for about two months of like, we met every week for coffee and we talked about my faith and my journey and where I was at. And like, I shared like not maintaining purity culture and like being prayed over and being told like, oh, I'm praying for you. Like we have to rid the sin away from you. Like we have to do this, this, and this. And I was given an accountability partner so that we could talk if anything like was leading astray, um, according to them. Right. 
And I um, remember talking to one of my friends that was in the LGBTQ community, like, and they were really defensive when I was like, yeah, I'm a young life leader. And they're like, what? Like, how are you going to be friends with me then? And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, young life is very anti-LGBTQ. And I was like, but that doesn't make sense because we have like two or three high schoolers that we're working with right now that are part of the LGBTQ community. And she goes, do you have any idea how damaging that is when they figure out that later in life, like the young life community didn't actually affirm their sexuality and I was like what and so I went to the young life staff organizer and kind of like right before I was going to sign to be a young life leader officially um, on a contract and asked and she was like well yeah like if you identify as anything but like straight according to the bible you're going to be burning in hell and like we can't have that here and this is at a time where like I had came out as bisexual to people and I, although I was dating men like women are beautiful and um, I didn't sign that contract, <laughs> and I didn't become a young life leader, and that was also really hard for me to hear because I knew friends that I was surrounding myself with. Like, did they secretly like not think I was bisexual because I was dating men, and like, were they not supportive of people that were queer? Like, what's going on here? So, with that in my head, that second summer, I walked into camp and identified as bisexual and was not crazy open about it but like camp counselors knew and I wanted to make sure if campers shared with me they were struggling I could tell them hey I am also bisexual um and I I felt really uncomfortable because I started dating another man when I was working at camp because I was told like I'm gonna find my husband at camp I I want to fit into this Christian lifestyle and like I need to find my husband because I need to get married at 22 and have kids by 23 and then like yada 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 like this is the life I need to live because that is what I was idolizing from Haley Pham and Christian John and all these big YouTubers that were being open about their Christianity and faith journey and um plot twist that didn't work out and I went to my third college um and that's where a lot of uh religious trauma happens. So I go to this tiny Christian college, um, and although I was pretty open with, like, being bisexual, I wasn't going to tell people because the environment that I was in, I was already really isolated. Because I had an ESA cat, an emotional service animal, um, the tiny Christian school didn't know what to do with that, and so they put me in a single dorm room by myself as a junior transfer student and in a freshman dorm with me and my cat. Do you have any idea how hard that is to make friends? Like, yeah, I could be like, hey, do you want to come see my cat? But, like, I don't bluntly want to be friends with, like, baby freshmen. Like, I'm a junior. I was older than my RA on that floor. And I felt really uncomfortable. And a couple of people that I talked to just in general, like, tell me about yourself and then sharing my sexuality. Like, well, you date men, so, like, you're not actually bisexual, right? And I was like, (laughs) sure. I, I was so scared, right? And so that year, I started to become a leader on my worship band at that school and I was so focused on being you know pure like Christianity was like uh, like it was a ranking it was a ranking of who was who was doing more it was bad it was really bad and um I was also working at Victoria's Secret because I need a job and people were judging me for that and I was like I can't win here and so I was really determined to be a third-year camp counselor and go back to camp and be better than ever. And because I was at a Christian school, I was, you know, studying a lot of Christianity and, like, actually diving into, like, religious rhetoric and having those conversations. And um, I went back to the camp staff reunion that year 
and uh, everyone else was talking to me about how they were coming back for a third summer, and I hadn't heard anything from my boss yet. And I was like, something, something's weird here. Um, and I also, at the time, had finally joined a mega church. And so I, I was being talked to individually as I started to become a really active member in that megachurch. Um, I was being, like, taken aside by a pastor and by a youth leader. And, like, they were talking to me about, like, oh, Soph, like, tell me about yourself. And then, like, we would have really intimate conversations about, like, oh, talk to me, tell me about your sexuality. Because I had vented and, you know, shared confidential information with one or two of my friends that went to the pastor and told them about it. And um, I was taken aside of, like, oh, like... I hear, like, you might need an accountability partner because I had had premarital sex. Um, And they're like, you might want an accountability partner. And I hear that you're struggling with your sexuality. Like, you're identifying as bisexual. Like, we can can have conversations about that. And, you know, like, I can can give you resources. And that was the year that I was handed uh, Gay Girl, Good God by Jackie Hill Perry. Um, And that book (laughs) um, damaged me. Um, I read it like it was the word of the Lord. I read it because Jackie Hill Perry shares her story, offers, you know, practical tools that helped her in the process of finding her quote unquote wholeness. And she talks about how she used to be a lesbian. Um, and so she talks about her gender confusion and how she embraced, you know, homosexuality, masculinity, and how basically it's written as like a really bad thing. And I, I don't know better. I'm, you know, 19, 20 years old. I'm just figuring out my life. And I'm surrounded by environments of only straight people. So I don't have, like, people to reach out to to talk about this stuff. Other than this mindset that the megachurch is telling me, you have an issue. We're going to fix it. We're going to solve it. And camp had, for a long time of my, like, camp and, you know, organized religion had been a big part of my life and a big safety net. And I was like, I'm going to stay here and it's going to be okay. And I stayed in that mega church. I had an accountability partner that checked on me and I had camp leadership staff, not camp leadership staff. I'm so sorry. I had church leadership staff that checked in on me two times a week to talk about sexuality and how I was feeling. And so as all this is going on, I'm not hearing from camp leadership staff about coming back for a third summer. And I reached out to my camp leadership staff and was told um, that I wasn't going to be able to come back that they didn't want me to come back, that I wasn't mentally prepared to be a third-year counselor. And I look back now, like, that doesn't make sense. Um, I've talked to a lot of people about this, and, like, you're an amazing counselor with everything else going on. And, you know, I they told me I wasn't ready. Was it, I just, I think back, and we're not going to reflect crazy on it. was like, was it my sexuality? Was it me not fitting into the narrative that they wanted? Um, was I being too open about the fact that, like, I was confused why people were, like, saying they practiced one thing and weren't? Um, was I too much of a rubble rouser? (laughs) Which, yes, absolutely is the answer. Um, so that summer, right, like, I just, I didn't do much. I nannied, and I was working at Victoria's Secret, and I was, I was struggling. And, um, of senior year of college, I only had one semester because I decided I was going to graduate early. And that was the first time I really, like, started to um, oppress Christianity. I was getting mad. I was getting mad that camp rejected me after putting so much of my heart and soul into it. Um, That organized religion was pushing me away. Um, That I was being told, like, I couldn't be my full self, but was finding, like, joy in having crushes on women. Um, That I was in a straight relationship where my bisexuality was, like, a fetish. 
Um, and I was so desperate to think that maybe I found my husband that I didn't break up with him. Um, I wanted so badly to fit in and my friends were really judgmental. Um, the people I was surrounding myself with, like they were basically like, well, you're bisexual, but you're dating men. So you're not bisexual. And I think a lot of people stuck around with me because they thought like, oh, well, we'll make sure Soph isn't bisexual by being around her and sharing the world with the Lord. And I know I'm not misgendering myself by saying she, her, and I don't use those pronouns anymore, but like, this is a different Sophia. (laughs) This is a different Sophia, right? Not even Soph. Um, and so I stopped going to chapel services. Um, I, I, I was mad at God. And although I was mad at God, I still so badly wanted to fit in. I still so badly was battling internalized homophobia, internalized so much pain and trauma from all these years. And, um, I got kicked out of class my senior year for yelling at a professor for saying that being gay was the worst sin of them all. And I was like, since when are we ranking sins? Like that I, I should have known. There's so many things in front of me that were like, so if you're gay and it's okay and we love you, like you're going to be good, like you're going to be okay. Um, but I wasn't ready. Okay. And so I was graduating a semester early and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I decided that maybe I would attend seminary and I applied and I got in and I deferred for the year because I figured I need to take some time to step away from everything, to be mad at God and fully embrace that I'm mad at God and figure it out. And so um, at this point, I've probably dated about 34 men. I've probably had very intimate relationships with at least 20 of them. Bluntly, I can't tell you all their names. Um, I was so, so angry at myself for the decisions that I had made, even though I was young and like, I shouldn't feel that anger, but I was just being told that I should be angry and that I was a sinner and that I was going to burn in hell if I didn't fix myself and get it together. And so I was so mad at God that I just, I stopped going to church. I pushed religion away completely. Um, I graduated from college and honestly, like I stopped talking to God for about a year. Um, that was the end of 2018 and going into 2019, I just decided I'm going to work at my parents' office till I find a full-time job and I couldn't find a full-time job. And I decided, you know what, screw it. I'm going to work at Disney World. I'm going to get away from all this. I'm going to be a new person. And I went away to Disney in May of 2019 and I recognized like I missed religion and I was interacting with a lot of queer people that were talking about their faith and like how they were um, coming to terms with both of them. And I was meeting a lot of interesting people that were everything but straight um, and were being really open and vulnerable with me. And I was creating a lot of lasting friendships. And I started to recognize like I was seeing joy and my my God that I so wholeheartedly wanted to believe in through people I was interacting with through feeling safe in really wild environments, through um, seeing joy and magic. And I was like, some things I miss God, but I, I want to make that decision to step back into my faith when I'm ready. Um, and so after I worked at Disney, I came home clueless, right? Like I, I, I was feeling open to join religion again, but I, was, I, was, I wasn't sure how to go about it. I knew that um, at this point, religion had caused a lot of pain and I wasn't ready um, I wasn't practicing at all. Like I wasn't praying. I wasn't believing in faith. I thought that I was just going to be in a black void after life. Okay. And so I, I started dating men again, even though I had already came out as well as we to some friends. Yeah, it's a whole thing. Um, but I was, I was struggling. Like I, I still wanted to be perfect in every other atmosphere. Sorry, we have a dog that's barking. <laughs> 
I, I mean, honestly, like a lot of a lot of growth was happening. So due to COVID, we're right around, you know, March 2020, and I have the nine to five, and I'm commuting to and from Chicago, and I'm in a straight relationship, and uh, I just, I was faking it at that point. And I don't mean to create pain by saying that, as I know maybe some of my exes are listening to this, but like, I was faking it. I was, I was faking being happy. I was faking finding fulfillment and things I was doing. And I, with that person, I just, I was miserable. And I was like, this isn't okay. And I, right around this time was obsessed with YouTube, like only watching YouTube videos. And I randomly had Refinery29 pop up on my recommended page on YouTube. And this video called The Dark Reality of the Christian Music Industry from State of Grace documentary series by Grace Baldridge came up. And I was like, hmm, this looks kind of interesting. So I clicked on it. Um, thank you, Grace. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, it's, it's wild for me to think that like Grace now knows who I am and I know who Grace is and like we've talked. Um, but yeah, I watched that video and Grace basically had this state of grace docu-series on being a open lesbian with a beautiful wife and, uh, was challenging the Christian community to having these uncomfortable conversations. And so, Grace decided to try interviewing people in the Christian music industry. And from watching that video, I started to recognize, like, wait a second. So much of my joy and my coping and my faith has been put into Christian music. Um, Music was healing for me. And to learn that all of this Christian music I was listening to wasn't for me and that basically none. Basically none, okay? Maybe one or two bands that I heard, one or two songs even, um, none of that music was for me. They were all anti-LGBTQA+. Um, and I I sat down and cried, I think, for three hours. That was my moment of like, Soph, I know that you are this baby gay just craving to come out. And you don't need to hear this right now because now what? Like, what do we do? Like, you want to identify as queer and Christian, but like... We, we have to go through some healing now, okay? Like, I was I was really ready right around, like, I think, you know, March, April, May. Like, these are months of, like, okay, you're a lesbian. We're coming out. Like, we're not going to date men anymore. We're going we're gonna to cope with this. We're going to be openly queer. And, like, we're going to tell people and we're going to be okay. And I started telling people. And then June 2020 hit with this video. And I was like, crap. <laughs> I What do I do now? Like, that really, that, that was hard. Because I thought that I could just be Christian and queer. And then I was like, oh, my gosh. So much of my faith is in this thing that isn't for me. Like, how do I come to terms with both of these things? Being queer and being Christian. And so um, this is where, you know, the religious deconstruction time happens. And so if you made it this far, I'm, I'm going to share hope and I'm going to share joy now. And I know that I went through, you know, a lot of my story, but a lot of it's really important. And I know that if I forget any detail, I'm only going to want to re-record this whole thing, including something and being completely vulnerable is what we decided to do here at this composed mess, um, and talk about the mess and then talk about, talk about the joy and how, you know, you see me as this composed person now. And I know a lot of y'all comment saying, like, oh my gosh, so if you're great, like you're perfect, blah, blah, blah. But like we're gonna we're gonna talk about the pain as we did, and now we're gonna talk about the joy. And um, truly joy comes in the morning. Like nothing can separate, even if I run away. You'll lo- okay. Anyway, so here we go. Okay, let's dive in. So, like, yes, Grace and that video hit hard. Um, And so then I hit a point of like, how do I go about this? And the first thing that I thought of was like, I'm going to read the Bible. 
Okay. Like, I was one of those Christians that was handed the Bible, and it was, like, the Niv translation. Um, and I was like, I, I like the Bible, right? Like, I'm going to read a passage here and there, like, yada, yada, yada. But, like, I had never read the Bible fully. And that's something that, like, you don't do. You just jump from passage to passage and highlight it and look really hip and trendy and, like, create devotionals based on, like, one or two verses you find. But you would never read the whole entire story. I know I'm being sarcastic here. But, like, right? And so um, we're going we're gonna to have this segment of talking about the fact that I did read the Bible entirely. And I am not, you know, the queer theologian of the century. But we're going to dive into this because the first question that people ask me is how are you a queer Christian? You can't be both. Like the Bible condemns homosexuality. No, it don't homie G's. Um, so I read the entire original Hebrew translation of the Bible, like the OG Bible, not the 1940s or 1960s editions that Americans decided to create being homophobes and transphobes and everything that wasn't created to be cisgender normative to them. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little bit of back pocket information because I get a lot of messages on this of how you can be both. Number one, the Bible does not oppose homosexuality because the texts do not deal with the homosexual, like does not talk about homosexuality in general. So like every single person that's a homophobe basically wants to talk to you about Leviticus 18, right? Verses 22 and then uh, 20 and tw- like 13. Um, plot twist. So everyone's like, oh my gosh, it talks about male homosexuality. The reason that it talks about it not being okay, pals, is because it literally is the condemnation, like, the condemnation of male homosexual act, like, acts, um, are basically talking about how they're not ethical because it's a waste of semen, okay? They're not talking about homosexuality not being okay because it's a man and a man. They're literally just bluntly talking about the fact that, like, why would you do that? You're wasting semen to not get a woman pregnant because that is the world that they live in, okay? And then Genesis 19 is sexual nature, right? Okay. The evil that they're talking about in later in, like, Jewish and Christian traditions is not about homosexuality at all. It's also talking about the sin is that they're not being hospitable, okay? Like, in Genesis 19, it's not attacking homosexuality at all. It's literally the story that's talking about how (laughs) they're not being hospitable. Like, I just, you need to dive in, okay? I'm I'm not going to be a theologian here. That's not what this podcast episode is. Um, But, like, there's a lot I could dive into. And I just, I get so frustrated because I have read the Bible in total as a story and if you do that you start to become really open-minded of like there is some wacky stuff in the bible homies um there's a lot it's a lot to handle and so I read it and I was like okay I think I'm gonna take time to make faith what I I'm gonna make my faith my own okay and so um at this point I'm feeling really motivated um, I read the Bible, I take time, and I re- I write this blog post that's called I'm the Queer Christian You're Afraid Of. And I tweet it at Grace Baldridge, and Grace reads it, and I, like, mention Grace and give Grace credit to, like, a lot of how I'm feeling. And at this time, like, I'm just writing as queer because I, I, I still hadn't came out to everyone as lesbian. Um, I just said queer, and a lot of people are reading it, and I think a lot of my queer friend, like my queer friends, are reading it. Like hell yeah! But a lot of my Christian friends are like, oh, okay, well you're saying queer, so like, you know. And I wasn't. They were still supporting it, and I was kind of confused. But I just kind of I let it be. Like bluntly, I was being I was being narrow minded, um, and I I was moving forward. I was I was so close to coming out as lesbian. And then Grace hits me with another episode. Okay. State of Grace comes out with another episode. And I'm like, really? 
do we really have to do this? Like, I'm getting ready. And this is the point I'm saying of, like, if you are um, struggling, like, it's okay to step aside and not listen to everything you're hearing. Like, I, I'm, that's why I gave trigger warnings to my episode here. Um, but Grace comes out with this, this episode called The Dark Reality of Megachurches. And I, um, yeah, this is the moment where I realized that um, I was basically part of a cult um, by being in camp for so long. Um, but I was also basically in a mega church that was a very cult like mindset for college, right? And I'm like recognizing by watching that video, like, oh my gosh, it's so apparent. They always told me that they were accepting, you know, everyone's welcome here. Come one, come all. Let's all worship together. Like, yeah, Jesus, God's amazing. But like, what? And this is the first time I fully hear the difference between accepting environments that are Christian and affirming environments that are Christian. And I realized like, oh my goodness, wait a second. Um, I don't think that a lot of the environments I've been, I've been affirming, but they all have labeled themselves as accepting. Um, and there's a difference here. And we're at this point in July of 2020. And I think I'm going to be a pastor. I'm feeling all of this. I'm coming to terms with all of this. I'm like, this is the time, like we need more queer pastors in this world, which we do. Um, and so the seminary that I had deferred to, I was, I was ready to go to, and I thought that they were pretty, you know, accepting, right? They, they said they were accepting. Um, but when I asked them if I attended, could I be ordained through the church? They said, you can attend and you're welcome here and accepted here, but you will not be ordained. And I was like, oh, so you're not affirming. And so now I'm like, now what the fudge do I do with my life, okay? Like, it is July 2020. I think I'm going to come out on my birthday, which is August 2020, as a lesbian. And, like, I'm going to be a Christian lesbian. And, like, I got to figure this out, okay? Like, what do I do now? Um, and I, I didn't talk about it, and I haven't talked about it. But I have this tattoo on my arm, which is called Be Still. And it's my favorite Bible, st- like, verse still to this day, which is Be Still and Know That I Am God and I Am With You. And I got this my freshman year of college, like when I was deep, deep into Christianity and a very um, collective mindset versus an individualistic mindset. And I remember looking at my arm. I think it was like I actually journaled. I have it right here. Um, July 24th of 2020. And I ask, so now what? Be still and know that I am God and I am with you. Okay, God, where the fuck have you been? Um... And I realized that um, it's, it's been okay for me to be mad at God because God's still here. God's still around. And I see God in my, my family and the joy and long car ride. Like, I know it sounds silly, but, like, that's how I view God and what I do. And I'm like, okay, where the fuck were you? Okay, let's, let's dive in, God. Let's have this conversation. And I'm bluntly, I got in my Jeep that day and I drove for an hour and a half and I just talked to God just like I just convo okay like let's have a heart to heart homie what the hell God um and I talk and I I talk a lot about um like my religious breakups with friends and like God I'm about to come out as lesbian like am I gonna have these hard conversations like what do I do in this situation like I think a lot of the people that say they love me like 
love me because I'm a bisexual that's been only a straight appearing relationships to them like what what if they don't love me anymore what do I do like what if I lose a lot of the people I've been surrounding myself with like I feel like if I come out I'm losing a lot of my security blankets and like I'm going to live this whole new life and like are you still going to be here for me god um and I didn't listen to Christian music because I didn't have any Christian song after doing my research on a playlist that has, I think, a thousand listeners on Spotify because I couldn't find one that affirmed me in this moment. And um, I, I, I came out in August and I posted on Instagram that I was lesbian and I wore rainbow earrings that one of my friends made and I wore a boob shirt and it was pretty, it was pretty gay, okay? And I'm like, so now what? Okay, like I come out and um, I reach out to a lot of my friends and a lot of them tell me like, I don't agree with your lifestyle, but I'm here for you. That sucks. <laughs> like, you what? Um, and I lost a lot of people. And so I'm feeling really isolated specifically like, okay, so if you came out, like you don't get men as a security blanket. Like you haven't wanted men as a security blanket. It's just been what you've conditioned to do. So, um September 2020 comes and I go on my first queer date and it, it was wonderful and um <laughs> at the time I asked this person that I'm on a queer date with like yo do you identify with religion at all and they explained to me no they don't and um, I got defensive and I told them like oh I don't think I can date someone that's not Christian and I remember them looking at me and saying you're gonna have a hard time finding that in this queer community and I was like, yeah, the, you're right. The church has done a lot more pain than good to the LGBTQA plus community. And like, but if that's what you want, like, I understand that. And like, transparently, that's why we, we didn't work out. Um, and I was not going to force my religion on anyone specifically when we're in this queer community that Christianity has done a lot of damage to people. Um, so then I, I meet Lily and it's October and, um, that's, that's where a lot of, um, progress happens. And I don't want to give it to Lily, but like, I mean, we're going to be honest here. So, right. I mean, if you don't know the story of how I met my current girlfriend that I absolutely love and adore, um, we met on TikTok, but the truth of the matter is I was watching Lily's videos and, um, message Lily and Lily and I start talking like the first FaceTime we have together, uh, Lily and I talk about Christianity and like how you can be both and like, our upbringing in the church and like finding LGBTQA plus like supportive environments and how like Lily's parents support her and all of this and like my parents do too and like how can how can we you know have these conversations and um honestly my faith grew the most when it started getting gay okay like it did and I, I think Grace said this in a TikTok of like homies <laughs> my faith got really gay um and that's when God showed up right and the truth is like that's true like I had been oppressing so much of some like th of the biggest like sexuality is a huge part of human nature and I was oppressing so much of it and so I get so annoyed when people are like oh my god you talk about being gay all the time like yeah of course we do we were oppressed for a really long time shut up um <laughs> but like it's true that I, I, I kissed Lily for the first time and went, there is no way God doesn't think this is okay. There is no way I can feel this amount of a connection with this person by holding their hand and God thinks that this isn't okay. There's no way. There's no way that I can see this Christ-like joy and charis like caring attitude through this person 
and I know that God knows this is okay. I'm okay. Like, this is okay. Um, and being with someone that has prayed with me through it all and being with someone that's been transparent in their faith journey and growing, um, that's where my faith transformed a lot. And a lot of it was doing my own work um, and talking openly to my partner, even like, this is what I'm going through and I'm really still struggling. And like, even reading like books bluntly, like I read Bob Goff's book and I loved this book and like was not really the most LGBTQ plus supportive person. And I, I was, I was discovering a lot of media that I had latched onto wasn't for me. So where do we find better media? And the truth is there's not a lot of it. And so as I kind of wrap up like where I'm at now, I want to say that, um, coming to peace with being challenged is huge. That is where a lot of my reconciliation has happened religiously of knowing that I'm going to be challenged consistently in life, specifically for being queer and being Christian, but I'm confident enough to have the conversation. I hit this point and that's okay if you're not at that point and that's okay if it takes forever to do so. And some people might just be more introverted about having that conversation because your faith is your faith. Your faith is no one else's. No one is allowed to tell you what to believe and what not. That's not okay. Like it's not, it's your faith. And if you share it with someone that's beautiful and amazing, but you do not have to. Faith is a very intimate thing, but no one has to publicly talk about if they don't want to. But you know, I attend the undergrad school that was a tiny Christian community as a master's student now because I knew that I experienced pain and I want to come back bringing joy while challenging the school because they are open to having these conversations and being there for undergrad students that are like me, that don't have a voice. Um, and I know I'm crazy for it, trust me, but that's true. Um, learning that I am beautifully and wonderfully created. I'm not going to tell you you're beautifully, wonderfully created in the image of God because that can be like really damaging to people. Some people don't want to hear that, but like you are beautiful and you have been created so beautifully. Okay. And we need to remind ourselves that when things get tough, when we're feeling anxious and, um, I, I've learned that I'm not what society wants to portray as the beautiful Christian, as the true Christian, as the solid Christian. That does not make me less Christian. There's not enough representation of me being a Christian. That doesn't mean I'm any less valid. Okay? That's huge. Um, and I'm friends and surround myself with people that affirm who I am. I'm part of a church that affirms who I am. Specifically, I'm part of the Presbyterian faith that is very affirming. Um, but I'm friends with people like Grace and my partner and so many beautiful people that um, are open-minded and number one are part of the queer community and identify as Christian and have the conversations that need to be had. And so I share all of this because religious deconstruction looks different for everyone. Okay. It's, it's not something that we can all just, you know, this person did this, so I'm going to do this. We know how that turned out for me. Okay. We know that I, I saw someone be a perfect camp counselor and I wanted to be that camp counselor and look how that turned out. Okay. Like I don't want to share the story to have anyone idolize me for who I am, but I do want to share the story to show that, like, it's a journey to get to the point that we're at as people. And a lot of people look at someone in their 20s and go, like, I can't wait to be them. There's there's a lot of pain for people that are transparent with who they are now that we don't really talk about, and that needs to be shared and vocalized and talked about more. So I'm with all of y'all here. I'm so happy you're here. 
I'm happy you've been listening to this composed mess. I promise that it'll be like a different conversation next week that's a little bit more like cheery and bright eyed and bushy tailed. But like, this is central to who I am. I am queer. I am a Christian. I am studying to be a mental health advocate, aka a therapist for people. And like, we we need to find the marriage between both. And I'm not going to shut up about it because not enough people are talking about it. Okay. So I'm just going to keep talking about it and make noise because that's the person I am. But. I'm happy you're here. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week or week or month or life. If you decide you don't want to listen to any more of this, that's fine too. But you are beautifully and wonderfully created, mate. Like You are beautiful, okay? And I know I stutter a lot, and I know that it's a hot mess of words just over and over and over each other, but I refuse to edit myself because that's not what this post mess is about. Like, it's not. So thank you for being here. I appreciate y'all. My name's Soph. I'm a non-binary lesbian, and I use they/them pronouns. And you've been listening to this composed mass. Thanks. Bye.